0: Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the NAHAM Connections podcast. I'm Morgan Mangara, Managing Editor of NAHAM's Access Management Journal, NAHAM Connections, and your podcast host. In this episode, I'm sitting down with two patient access leaders, NAHAM Publications Committee Chair, Philip Quick, and NAHAM Past President, Brenda Sauer. We're discussing two major topics facing patient access professionals today, Staff burnout and the healthcare staffing shortage. As leaders in their organizations, Philip and Brenda share solutions for addressing burnout and how patient access is getting creative in the face of staffing shortages. Philip and Brenda, welcome to the Naham Connections Podcast.
1: Hi, Morgan. Thanks for having us.
0: Before diving into our conversation, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your career in patient access, and your involvement with Naham. Philip, would you like to start?
1: You bet. Thanks. Uh, I am uh, sort of a a self-proclaimed access geek. I've I've been in access for 20 years and have held virtually every role there is um, to have held in patient access. I'm currently the vice president of access operations at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago um, and oversee um, our access center, which is comprised, um, uh, our largest unit is, is centralized access scheduling and oversee all of the ambulatory and um, uh, hospital-based scheduling for uh, the Rush University System for Health. I have been uh, a member of NAHAM for probably about 10 years. Uh, I am a CHAM certified, Certified Healthcare Access Manager, and have been really fortunate to have been involved for a number of years in NAHAM. I've participated in in multiple town halls and and, uh, other sessions, um, joined, attended multiple conferences, the last two conferences virtually, which have been fantastic. Uh, I've participated in um, the conference planning committee, which has been a lot of fun and and made so many great uh, connections and and friends over the years. And most recently, I'm the um, chair of the publications committee.
2: Thanks, Phillip. And Brenda? I uh, currently am the patient access director at New York Presbyterian Hospital. I have been at New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York City for the last 35 years, the last 20 as the director of patient access. So have been in the profession for 20 plus years. Unlike Philip, I came from nursing. I'm one of the nursing transplants to patient access. Um, And so started there from patient access. my history with Naham is quite long and varied. I became a Naham member back in 1999, 2000. I was champ certified two years later. Um, since then, I have been on the, I first started, my first committee was publications committee and then moved to government relations uh, committee as first as a member and then as the chairperson. Um, I've also been a member of the board. I am the past president um, of Naham, and that was back in uh, a couple of years ago. It was during our 40th anniversary. So it's very exciting. So I am also a uh, fellow with Nahum. I got my fellowship uh, about five years ago. So I have a, a strong and varied career here with Nahum and I'm very excited to talk about what we're gonna be talking about today.
0: Thank you both. So let's set the scene. After nearly two years in the pandemic, all industries, especially healthcare, are facing burnout and a decrease in staffing resources. How have you witnessed burnout within your organizations and staff teams?
1: Sure, I'll I'll kick it off. Uh, You know, I thought that um, my access uh team uh, narrowly escaped sort of the the great resignation or all the staffing challenges um that a lot of organizations have seen over the last year um it's not to say that we didn't see burnout throughout the year um and we definitely did particularly with increased volume and and our call centers um supporting all of the COVID activity uh, but in ab- about six months ago um we started to really see the, the turn and our um, turnover rate uh, uh, skyrocketed to uh, over 25% um, and the other thing that we were sort of coupled with is um, uh, a lot a really high amount uh, of north of 20% of the entire staff on active family medical leave um, so our, our shrinkage rate when you kind of combine those and add PTO um had increased to almost 35 percent um which is you know in in our line of work and any line of work is is just detrimental and so the the team that was sort of left holding everything up together was was really experiencing a tremendous amount of burnout um so we we didn't escape the the you know what everybody else is is sort of um seeing and feeling and you know if, if there's any sort of um consolation there it's it's, you know knowing that we're not alone and you know it's certainly think these kinds of staffing and burnout isn't isolated to uh, my organization or even healthcare um i I think it's just it's you know what the sort of tides have turned for all of us uh in a post-pandemic world
2: i have to agree with philip um We also saw a very large increase in sick calls, Um, family medical leads, not only of the employees taking care of themselves or who have gotten sick, but also family members, having to take care of family members. So as he said, we had upwards from 20 to 25% sick call rate um, or FMLA. So having to deal with that and then on top of it, there was a, a, a large, I wouldn't say large exodus, but a, a fairly significant one from where my frontline staff went to back office positions because they could work from home. Um, it fit more with their lifestyle. So that left the folks doing registration, um, kind of like overworked. You could see the burnout happening. You could see them getting more tired. So of course that increases your sick time, your lateness, um, your apathy amongst the frontline registration staff. So it, those are some of the things that we were seeing and are still seeing. We're actually doing better now. We've come back and we've, um, are beginning to start to fill some of our openings. Um, I think getting through the pandemic um, where people are now healthier and the, the stress of that piece of it is off, I think is we're seeing a, a turn for the better, I hope.
0: Thank you for sharing that, both of you. So can you describe some ways you've addressed burnout among your team and what practices have been
2: successful?
1: Sure. So I think that, you know, engagement and burnout go sort of directly hand in hand. And and I think that we've, you know, needed, I think a a, a quick um, uh, lever is to really ensure that our leaders are continuing with those traditional tactics and you know, having one-on-ones and having your your regular huddles and having team meetings, and I think during staffing shortages, you know, we're we're sometimes quick to to push those to the side, and because we you know we need people on the phones, we need people um, patient facing. But w- what happens is when when you push those to the side, um, the the sort of lack of communication and and lack of you know leader engagement with the staff, you know, decreases, and so it was really important to us that we maintained those. Um, so those are just, you know, whether it was leader rounding, one-on-one, huddles, team meetings, um, to make sure that those were, were continuing. We've also done, um, uh, we've adjusted um, meal periods and, and uh, break times and, and expanded those knowing that, you know, the, the team is under a tremendous amount of, of stress and added burden because of all of our, our vacancies um, and high call-in, so really, really looking at, at sort of those um, pieces. Um, additionally, we've, we've implemented um, an uh, Employee of the Month recognition program to make sure that we're continuing that engagement and, and you know it, that we're not all negative Nancy all the time and we're really recognizing and rewarding our high performers that are just crushing it on a day-to-day basis, and that comes with a monetary award. Um, and so those, those are really the, sort of the, the, tactics that we've, we've sort of, um, gotten to, to address. And, you know, we're really fortunate at Rush to have, um, a, a wellness center that was sort of created in, in, early on in the pandemic for our entire workforce. Um, and we're more fortunate enough to have it in the same physical building as, as my access center. Um, and they have something that's called a, a, a NAP pod um that they highly encourage you to take advantage of uh, it's a 10 minute quick quick nap and it's pretty amazing but you know promoting self care and wellness and and stress management through that wellness center has been a really great strategic partnership for us as philip
2: said i think one of the ways that we can address with the burnout or the feeling of being overwhelmed with this team is to meet with them often. Um, My supervisors, my managers, and myself met with the staff almost daily, um, especially at the height of the pandemic, also towards, you know, in the last year or so, um, we have been there making rounds, having our morning huddles, talking to people, but also just checking in with them and just saying, how are you? You doing okay? Or if we knew that a parent was sick or a child was sick or somebody was, you know, they were caring for somebody, how are they doing? I think making those connections with the employees, and and as Philip said, keeping them engaged is very, very important, but also it shows the employee that you care about them. You care about what's going on in their life. It's just not work. We understand, we recognize and identify that there you have a whole nother life outside of here. Um, if you're homeschooling kids and you're coming to work every day, how are you doing that? Is everything okay? Um, and also working with the staff. I know many times um, staff came to my, to the supervisors and managers and they came to me and talked about it, you know, changing schedules, working with the, employee to make sure that their home life was covered along with their work life and trying to marry the both of them Um, and being much, much more flexible with schedules um, and time off and, and the like there. Because I think when we did that, people came to us and they understood and they were like, all right, you helped me out here. Now, I'm going to help you out in this area. Um, and I think also working with the staff on their well-being and um, at New York Presbyterian we have a couple of different programs. Um, our Be Healthy program, uh, making sure people are eating right, um, getting enough rest, getting the support they need. Uh, we had uh, Our human resources has a HR connects where we can connect people with mental health workers if we need to. Um, you know, food insecurities. We created a food bank for our staff um, because we were finding out that sometimes they were the only paycheck coming in and there wasn't enough food for the families. Um, and looking at, you know, hardship grants, um, for them to help them get through whatever bump in the road that they were having. So we started that program also. Sounds like you are both and your organizations are truly leading with empathy. Like what you hear on Naham Connections podcast, visit naham.org slash Naham Connections to catch up with the latest patient access content and insights from patient access professionals and industry experts.
0: So surely burnout has led to the staffing shortages healthcare organizations are facing. Still, patient access is finding ways to fill these gaps to maintain a positive patient experience. You mentioned some of these tactics um, in the last question, but as patient access leaders, how are you getting creative in the
2: face of staffing shortages? I can start with that. I mean, we in my last, you know, my last comments, I was saying about how we we're being flexible with schedules and making sure that we get coverage. So that's part of it. The other thing is is that like our ED staffing has been very, very short. Um, we've had people leave. We've had uh, people um, be out on, on family medical leave. So what we've done is we've opened up uh, some overtime slots or some per diem slots in the emergency room for all of the registration staff. And so we've now got folks that, who don't usually work in the ED coming over to the ED and helping out there, um, which is quite awesome, as a matter of fact. I think it's it's awesome that they're coming over and helping their coworkers. Um, and as I always say, uh, you know, if you're looking for Christmas money, always come to the ED, we've got Christmas money for you there. Um, but, it's it's an opportunity for that. Can I also our emergency room has been very, very busy over the last couple of months. Um, I think everybody who stayed home for the pandemic is now realizing I'm really sick and I need to come to the emergency room. <laughs> so it's been very, very busy. Um, the other thing that we've done is in, and, and I've now done it in three of my hospitals mm-hmm. is developed a centralized check-in area so that patients coming in for scheduled appointments are coming in and checking in in a kiosk. And in these areas, we have anywhere from four to upwards to 10 kiosks where they can come in um, and patients can check in by themselves. And so instead of a patient coming in and meeting one-on-one with a registrar, Patients are coming in and going into a going to a kiosk where I have one registrar who can handle or manage four to six patients at the same time and assist them in checking in in the kiosk. So it's using staff much more efficiently, um, and because of, we're on Epic, so our Epic system, you know, the pre-registration, the scheduling process is all done up in the in the in the front end of the registration process, so we can clear all of those patients, and as they come in, they can come in, check in, do their paperwork, um, either at home via Connect or um, on the kiosk as they come into the for their appointment. So it has created a lot more efficiencies um, in my department, and those staff members that I don't need to have help check-in patients um, for that, uh, I can move to other places like the emergency room.
1: I think, uh, you know, Brenda hit it at the nail on the head. I think, you know, moving resources and and sort of gone are the days of people are sort of static in, in any one unit or or role. Um, so being able to, to move them around and, and share resources and in sort of the broader uh, encompassing access arena is, is really important and we've found has worked well. Um, similarly, um, really maximizing technology and gaining efficiencies, whether it's upon check-in, um, but also, you know, looking at it on uh, sort of the, the front end at the at the point of scheduling and pre-registration and what sort of um artificial intelligence are we able to um implement whether that's online maximizing my chart scheduling and open scheduling um ensuring that all of the the key things that we need to capture during a scheduling and pre-registration are there uh implementing e-check-in um through epic and and through our our my chart app um to really maximize that that check-in and and uh ensuring that those patients are um, providing all of that information is, are, are ways that we've sort of combated that. I think, you know, the, the easy lever that we, I think, have all pulled are, are um, agencies, right? And, and I think that agency has simultaneously also had its own challenges with staffing shortages and call-ins and, and whatnot. And so, you know, they're they're a little bit less reliable. I know a lot of colleagues across the country have had to tap into to agency and, you know, it's, it's certainly an expense um, and, and paid at a higher labor rate. And, um, and, and I think people have gotten to the point where, you know, I just need a warm body, but I think it, it comes with, you know, sort of a double-edged sword with, you know, investing the training and, and resources that it takes to get someone up that um it is not you know going to be committed to the organization um so we've we do have temporary uh, agency staff in our own organization and we worked really hard to really make that a pipeline for staffing um and you know we treat um our agency's uh, staffing as as they're part of the team so we are interviewing them to be a permanent part and to hopefully convert to the to to our our access family um uh after some some time so we've we've sort of are, are approaching um staffing uh agency in that way the other thing that we have done to address staffing specifically is really creating pipelines and partnerships with um colleges and universities with um alumni and certificate programs whether it's a medical billing program or um uh you know a, a health administration i'm you know, I'm an academic center um, uh, at WORR University, but we don't have a lot of, we, we have very few non um, clinical degree programs, and so we, we don't have a good pipeline. And so we've um, reached out to uh, universities and community colleges to sort of create this, this funnel and pipeline, um, and have been largely successful with um, filling staff. Um, and, and, you know, the pandemic has sort of forced a, uh, a, a lot of people to make decisions, um, because their, their own professional jobs have changed. And so many people went back to school or did a certificate program. So we're starting to see sort of the surplus, um, of, uh, you know, new grads or, or recently completed, um, certificate programs and, you know. I look back at, and four months ago, I had you know nearly 30 positions open, and, and now I think I'm under 10. And a lot of that was due to some of those pipelines that we've been able to, to feed into our, our access department.
0: Thank you both. So for patient access leaders looking to implement some of these practices within their organizations, where can they start? What advice can you share with them?
2: Um... From a patient access standpoint, there's two, you know, the two things that I think about is, a, Philip said it earlier about developing a pipeline, so that when you have openings, you have people that you are, you can fill, have them fill in. Um, I have to say, my managers have done a very good job of keeping their pipeline full, so that we may not have positions that are readily available, but we have people to fill them. The other thing that we've done is been very creative in looking at folks from a different angle, so to speak. We don't only look for healthcare professionals who have registration backgrounds. We look at folks who maybe coming to us as a second career from other industries such as marketing, hotel industry, you know, the pandemic wiped out the hotel industry in New York City. So we also look at front desk people from hotels, um, customer service folks, and the like there. As I always say, learning a registration system is easy. And if you can order off of LLB you can do a registration system. We can give you the knowledge about insurance, interviewing patients and the like, um, but developing those connections with patients, especially on our frontline, um, takes some special, um, a special person, So we need to sometimes look outside of the box and not look for those people that have, you know, have ticked all of the boxes because it's very rare that you're going to find them. Um, So there's that. And the second thing is, is that I had talked about um, the kiosk. And so you need to work with your IT team, your IT um, partners and see, does your system lend itself to developing a kiosk system for patients to self-check-in? I mean, I'm fortunate; I have Epic as our registration system, and it's both in my university and in my in the hospital, so that it works. We can do that and have patients, you know, do a lot of the self-check-in, either from home or as they walk into the building but you have to build it with your EPIC team members and your infrastructure for IT. Um, and, you know, it's not cheap because you have to buy the kiosk, you have to build the, the, the welcome center. But I think patients um, actually appreciate uh, for the self-check-in. We have... Um, many patients now who just come in, they know what they're doing and they come in, I got this, check in and move on. Um, so I think it's also a patient satisfaction um, piece,
1: so. I, I agree and, and I think, and you know, what I've found wildly successful too is, is creating that ROI. So not only working with your IT department, but working with your finance, um department to create roi and and what does that do for sort of the return on any investment whether that's a piece of technology that's going to create efficiencies or whether that's additional staffing and and you know it's harder i think in patient facing um areas but areas like scheduling where if you don't have the staff to to get to the calls that ultimately could convert to a, a scheduled appointment um, you know, I, access is not uh, viewed as traditionally a revenue generating department, right? But I think that there are there are ways to work with your finance partners to sort of show uh, return. And and we just did that this week. And, and I'm excited to, to I shared in a town hall early this morning that um, the organization approved um, uh, nine additional uh, FTEs to add to, to my team because we were able to show, sort of, with the added volume and then our increase in shrinkage rates. Um, here's here's our gap, and here's what sort of we're leaving on the table. And if we add, if we invest, and it's you know nine FTEs doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's a half a million dollar investment when you think about you know the the total labor costs. So. We were able to show the return over time in in adding these resources so i think uh really ensuring that you you know you're you're reaching out across the board to get creative whether that's again new technology or or staffing increases um and then just to echo what brenda said i think you know looking at getting creative and looking at new new sort of uh types of candidates that you don't traditionally look at and and you know I have a viewpoint where I can teach you technology like Brenda said I can't teach you customer service and there's so many other um, industries and um, people coming from organizations where they have closed or reduced staff or they've made that career change and so we have uh, we just hired a a teacher um, that wanted to change and and it, it, it on our pediatric line, um, scheduling patients. And so it it worked out so well and doing uh, swimmingly. Uh, So it's really looking outside of of the box to, to look at different types of candidates.
0: That's great. So addressing burnout and staffing shortages in the workplace does influence patient experience outcomes. How do you communicate this value of, you know, the relation to burnout, staffing, and patient experience to your staff teams.
1: I think very transparently. Um, I I have a tendency to 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 be very transparent, and I think it's important that you know it, it's the balance of sort of um, ensuring that you're maintaining engagement. A part of that engagement is sharing um, results and sharing performance and sharing you know patient experience scores, and so. We have seen, and, and I think it's, it's not isolated to, to the Chicago market or, or even Rush, that our staffing challenges have directly impacted our patient experience scores. And there are questions that our patients are asked that specifically uh, inquire and measure the performance from, you know, the ease of contacting, ease of scheduling, the ease of check-in. All of those things are are, are measured uh, and quantifiable, and so we've not only shared the, the direct performance and, and how we've come down from where our target is, and um, we, we share patient comments. Um, so not only sharing it with staff, but using that, and as I mentioned before, sort of the, the case for additional staffing. So you have sort of this ROI piece, but here's, here's the negative impact from a patient experience standpoint that it's having if we, if we don't solve for this. Um, So I think it's sharing it widely and broadly, not just within your own team.
2: I have to agree with Philip. Um, I, too, um, am very transparent with my teams um, regarding uh, patient satisfaction, Um, sharing any comments that I've gotten or letters or notes with them, whether it be good or bad, um, I think and taking those and 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 learning from them, um, you know what went well. How did we do this? Why was this so good? Um, to how could we have improved this? And as we have gone through the, you know, the staffing shortages, um, also the burnout. You know, the 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 very um, empathetic attitude towards our patient. Oh, I'm slogging through this day. Well, showing them, all right, you slogging through this day, this is what the patients are seeing. Okay. Um, And sharing with them the scores as we get them. So I think making them um, more aware of how they are being perceived by our patients is important. Um, Some of the other things that we've done is um, we've gone and walked a day in their shoes. I've done that in the emergency room. I've gone and sat with the employees, gone in and talked to the patients to see what they're going through. How are they managing it? How difficult is it? You know, I I hear the stories and I hear the challenges, but... Doing that, and I know my managers and my supervisors also do that. We we go and we spend, you know, a few hours just sitting in the areas with the pay- or with the employees to visit the patients and see, um, and also getting illicit feedback from them. So I think that's also important. It's important to the patient, but it's also important to the employee. That it also shows that we care about them. But we can also give them tips um, on how to manage. A, difficult patient, or uh, B, what can we say to the patient to um, help with the patient engagement? Looking to grow your skill set and stature within patient access profession? Consider Naham's Certified Healthcare Access Associate or Certified Healthcare Access Manager, the only patient access certifications that meet NCCA standards. Showcase your knowledge, problem-solving abilities, and dedication to your career by becoming NAHAM certified. Visit certification.naham.org to learn more.
0: So as leaders, you have been looking out for your teams as they've navigated the trials of the pandemic. How have you been taking care of yourself over the past 18 months? And how can other patient access leaders ensure that they are looking out for their own mental health along with that of their staff.
2: Oh, the, de- the, the silence is deafening Yeah, So now <laughs> we can say, all right, yes. Yeah. So we've been taking care of everybody else for the past 18 months. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, you have to take care of yourself and you have to surround yourself with people who care about you. And I can't emphasize that enough. I think myself and my two sisters from our family are, we are all essential workers. So I work in a hospital and my sister, one sister works in a nursing home as an administrator and the other sister was with the post office. So, I mean, we're all essential workers and we were all working very hard throughout the pandemic um, and even at the afterwards. Um, but with that, we all, developed our own network of support for, especially for the folks, for me especially, it was my friends who weren't in healthcare. You know, they worked in banking, they worked as teachers, they worked as um, marketing or they were in sales or something like that. Um, I think for six months, I didn't cook a meal all right. I would come home and, you know, in my apartment, I would come home and there'd be food in my refrigerator. I'd get a text. I left you dinner in your refrigerator. So and so left me, you know, let me in and, and, and put dinner in your, in your refrigerator. And I think you need to surround yourself with support like that. I think um, they would be like, have you gotten any sleep? When are you going to get sleep? When's your day off? you know, all of this stuff. And and granted, it can be kind of naggy and, and noji and all of that stuff, but it shows that people cared. And, you know, sometimes I did need to be reminded. Did I eat? Um, how much sleep did I get? Do I need to go to bed early? And the answer to those questions is yes. Um, and then the other thing is, is that, um, you know, making sure that somebody is there that cares for you. And I don't care if it's a two-legged person or a four-legged person. Me personally, I have a little dog and she is wild. I could be leaving the house for five minutes or 15 hours, but when I come home, she loves me. And I think that's all you need is somebody to give a hug to, um, whether it's a person or an animal to make sure that all right you're you're i feel loved and i'm alive so i think that is very very important so you know getting plenty of rest getting the love eating well and taking care of yourself so those are my my tips
1: i agree with brenda uh, and echo uh, all of those sentiments on on ways to really manage your self care I've also tried really hard and and I think that um, I wasn't good at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't think many of us were, and i'm I'm getting better, but but really just connecting and not being on twenty four seven and you know, really when you get home, you're home and taking time for yourself. and you know I have I have two young kids, I have a six year old and a three year old and and you know, making it a point where, you know when i'm when i am home i'm i'm not on my email with them and and really um uh, interacting with with my family and disconnecting and then it, it, i think it's also sort of um walking the talk and and not um you know sort of uh, trying to disconnect from in, in emailing my team on sunday or saturday or at eight o'clock at night when the kids do go to bed and and I think that, you know, we as access leaders, I think that, you know, you know, we're, we're on stage a lot. And I think that, you know, if, if we're not walking the talk for what we're preaching, then it's going to be hard for our teams to do that too. So, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to do better and, and really create that work life balance that we all strive for. But I think in, in, today's world, it's ever more important that we all do that in order to take care of ourselves and that we're demonstrating those same behaviors so that we can lead by example.
0: Those are great reminders for self-care and for unplugging. Um, I appreciate you both sharing your stories there. So to close, what is one step other patient access leaders can take today as they address burnout and staffing concerns in their organizations?
1: I think reach out. Reach out to um, Brenda. Reach out to me. Reach out to this vast, amazing network of access professionals that that Nahum uh, has. You know, we're not alone in this. And, and there's power in numbers and, and there's power in knowledge sharing and, and some of the best ideas uh, for problem solving or how to start something or how to address a certain staffing issue, I have gotten from colleagues. And I can't encourage you know, um, the, the, our listeners that if they're struggling with, with any one thing, particularly as it relates to staffing or burnout or engagement, reach out. Um, and, and if I don't have the answer, I'll reach out to somebody else and we'll create a, 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 another message chain here. I think that, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to have this network of, of amazing access people and let's tap into it.
2: I'm going to echo with
1: what Philip said.
2: As you all know, I grew up with Nahum. I was joined Nahum when I first became a patient access director. You know, I am the director of patient access at New York Presbyterian right now. This is 11 hospitals. I didn't, everything I learned, most of everything I learned is from all of my colleagues in from Nahum um, and the influence that we have with Nahum and all of the f- network um, colleagues that I have reached out to across the country. Um, and they have reached out to me. They've come back and said, hey, I see you've done this. Can I pick your brain? that's what we're here for. Um, And that's what Nahem is really, really good at. We are really good at developing the connections amongst each other. You know, um, I'm from a big university hospital, um, just like Philip is, but you know what, I have friends who are in the hundred bed hospitals too, and, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, So, we have those connections and I can't stress it enough for the, so I mean for the one thing that I would recommend to everybody is go online go on the website read the articles um, look listen to our podcast we gave a lot of great information today um, re-listen to it because you're going to miss things off the first one um, and then read the articles that are coming up in the journal and connections. Philip
0: and Brenda, thank you so much for sharing your insights and experiences with creative staffing strategies and addressing burnout. We appreciate your commitment to patient access and NAHAM.
1: Thanks for having us, Morgan.
0: Yes,
2: great conversation. Thanks for having us.
0: The conversation continues on NAHAM Connections. For more about how patient access professionals are managing burnout and getting creative with staffing, visit naham.org nahamconnections. That's naha morg n-a-h-a-m connections. Plus, Naham members can access a library of on-demand education featuring a breadth of trending topics. Visit naham.org slash webinars on demand to start learning. Not a member, but interested in taking advantage of these valuable resources? Join Naham to arm yourself with community knowledge and resources as you face obstacles in your daily work. Naham offers the year-round education and knowledge you need to help navigate the unexpected. Visit naham.org slash Naham membership to become a member. That's naham.org slash Naham membership to become a member. Thank you to everyone listening today. Until next time.